So today is neither fatalistic, nor is it a state of mind for me, as in being depressed or defeated. I feel that this is pragmatic to things in the world, or at least things in the U.S. But it seems that the church of today has gone complacent. They have gone and they have forgotten why they go to church, why they exist. They have gone from soul-winning, Bible-preaching churches to social clubs. And it is time that I admit that and I stop fighting against it. I can't change it, but I'm not going to let it change me. I believe we have gotten this way because we are no longer challenging a wicked world. We are no longer presenting to them something they don't recognize, because when the church presents to them something they don't recognize, Jesus, then they fight against it because they don't want the holy light of Jesus in their life. We have become what they are, and they see no reason to pay any attention to us. We are no longer a threat to them. Now, this situation cannot be fixed until we, until we realize that the situation is broken, that the church is broken, that the, not all of them, not all of them, I'm not casting a blanket across the United States, but it can't be fixed until people realize it is broken. Don Quixote, chasing at windmills, is what we have become. We're chasing things that don't matter. Perhaps the biggest problem in fixing these things is people don't want them fixed. And for that, there's no super glue or elixir. Now, again, I'm saying this from a vantage point of seeing things um, that some of you all don't have, and I get that. So when I think of most, not all, again, I'm not casting a blanket over everybody. When I think of most churches today, I think of the church addressed in Revelations as the church of Pergamos. How many of you have heard of the church of Pergamos? Or in, in the Bible, in the little heading where it says Church of Laodicea, Church of Philadelphia, it actually says Church of Pergamum. How many of you have heard of the Church of Pergamum? Just 50% of us. There's only two of us here, so one has one hand. 50%. I find it very curious that most cannot tell you of the Pergamum or Pergamus church. They can tell you of the Ephesus church, the church that left its first law. The church of Laodicea, they are lukewarm. The church of Philadelphia, because we have a major city called Philadelphia, but Pergamus or Pergamum, no one teaches that. So we're going to Revelations 2.12. We're not standing there, or we're not staying there. We're going to 2.12 in Revelations. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. It's not starting off good when God is saying, The person with the sharp sword is talking to you, so pay attention. It's never a good sign. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith. Even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. So they dwelt in an idolatrous city. 
They held fast the name of God. They did not deny his faith. Even when the leader of the church was martyred, they stayed faithful and did not deny him. A good report, right? Yes. Yet, as Paul Harvey would say, let's hear the rest of the story. Mm -hmm. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. That's quite a grocery list right there, isn't it? You have those that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. Those are people in the church that are teaching this, that are taking the church astray. Interesting. Balak, or as we know him, because here it says B-A-L-A-C, we know him, if you're going to look it up, as Balak, B-A-L-A-K, was a king of Moab, who tried to buy a prophet, his name was Balaam, and have him curse Israel. Now, Balaam had God's ear. He was a prophet. God says, I didn't listen to him, so Balaam did have God's ear. So Balaam was offered money, a lot of it. He was offered prominence, a lot of it. And he was going to go and curse Israel. Balaam's donkey stopped him. But not only did Balaam's donkey stop him, Balaam's donkey saved his life by stopping him. You, you remember the, uh, the account of the talking donkey we did? That was Balaam. Balaam was going to curse Israel for money, for prominence, for fame. He was going to go against the word of God to enrich his pocket. The donkey saved his life. There are those in the church of Pergamos that hold to the ways of Balak, and if you'll remember also, Micah, who are buying people, buying religious leaders to preach their religion. That's one of the problems with the church at Pergamos. Now, Revelations 2.15. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Remember, this is God talking. The one with the sharp two-edged sword. He's talking, and he says, that hold fast the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I, I God, hate. Well, how many of you know what who Nicholas was or the doctrine of the Nicolaitans? Not many. The followers of Nicholas, Nicolaitans, they lead lives of unrestrained indulgence. The doctrine of Nicholas, that all things are lawful, to the Christian. A life of doing whatever you want for you are under grace. And God hates that lifestyle. For he is a jealous God. And he asks his people to live for him, not for themselves. To be holy as he is holy. Nicholas taught and encouraged the people to live, laugh, and indulge in everything and anything and lower 
the godly standards, and God hated that. God hates that. What does God say in Revelation 2.16 after he talks about the Nicolaitans? Repent, or else I, meaning himself, God, will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Repent, or else I will come and fight against them. God himself hates what is going on so much. He is going to come and stand against them himself. His own church he is going to stand against because he doesn't like what's going on in it. That is what God says to the church at Pergamos. How we also ought to look at the churches of today that indulge in everything, that lower the godly standards in the interest of self-satisfaction rather than in the interest of, 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 of preaching God's gospel to all nations. God himself has promised that if they do not repent, he will fight against them. If that doesn't make you wake up, the fact that God might come and stand against you, nothing's going to make you wake up. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. God will give a white stone, a new name, to those that overcome, those that heed the warnings of the churches here listed. A new name that only they and God will know. He's going to give them the name so he knows it, no man will know it but them. A new name only between him and God, that's an honor. For loyal, faithful servants, service, for obedience, a memorial will, built, will be built with those white stones for those that stayed faithful. In memoriam, God himself will honor those who heed the warnings and stay faithful. All of that right there goes against the mantra of the church today. The mantra that says I can live how I want, do what I want, for I'm under grace. I say if you're living how you want, doing what you want, living as the world, and there is no spirit conviction, I would revisit the conversion experience. God lays out what he loves and what he hates in his words to the seven churches. There's a lot in those verses. He hates lukewarm. He hates unrestrained indulgence. He loves faithfulness. He loves loyalty. And he loves a good witness. God himself says he hates that lifestyle. The lifestyle of self-indulgence. The lifestyle that denies yourself nothing. And that is where we should focus our attention. On what God thinks what he loves, and what he hates. When you're living in a house with your mother and your father, and your dad says, don't do that, I don't like it, you don't do it, or dad smacks you down. Well, when we were growing up, they did. They don't do that anymore. Mom says, don't put your elbows on the table, I hate it. 
My mom was quick with a wooden spoon. You knew it after the spoon was back in her hand that you were doing something wrong. God's no different. He will chastise. He's promised he will come and stand against those churches. 2 Corinthians 6.14 Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? Where there's light, there is no darkness. Where there's righteousness, there cannot be unrighteousness. Be not unequally yoked. So what does the yoke of oxen do? They're teamed together, they're tied together, they pull the wagon or the plow, and they work together, they live together, they feed together, they're going in the same direction with the same path. You cannot be yoked with an unbeliever if you're a believer because your goals are not the same. If you are the kingdom of God, you cannot have the same goals as the world. You can't. If you are the kingdom of God, you cannot have the same path that the world is on. If you are of the kingdom of God, you cannot be doing what they do and expect to get where you are going. For if you are yoked with them, they will take you to where they are going, and you are going to go where they are going, which is generally death and destruction. 2 Corinthians 6.15, and I don't think we read, we, we read this verse often enough. We say, be ye not unequally yoked, but we don't go to the next verse nearly often enough. The next verse is, and what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What concord hath Christ with Belial? Concord means a statement of agreement Harmony. That's what concord means. How can Christ and Belial have harmony? How can a believer in Jesus have concord, harmony with an infidel and unbeliever? How can a believer have harmony with someone who doesn't believe as they do? How can you live in harmony when you don't have the same goals, the same path, the same father? You can't. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. What agreement hath the temple of God, which the believer is the temple of God? God has said he will dwell in them and he will walk in them. That's us. What temple, excuse me, if you are the temple of the living God, if he dwells in you, what concord does the temple of God have with a place in the world? You can't have it. Two different goals, two different masters, two different destinies. If you are the temple of the living God, if he dwells in you, are you a holy and consecrated vessel? Or are you in agreement, in harmony with the world, thereby grieving the Spirit? 2 Corinthians 6, 17. This is all from the same passage. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you, will be a father unto you, 
and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate. Come out, stand away from them, be separate, be consecrated unto the Lord your God, who, by the way, you are his temple. He is living in you. Do not live as the world. Do not live in harmony with them. Walking the same path, living the same life as they do. You can't do it if you're God's temple. How will they need Jesus? How will they need salvation if you're just like them? They don't need anything that you have if they're just like you. How can they possibly desire to have what you say they need, Jesus, when they are just like you already? Why do they need Jesus if they are just like you? If they live like you, go where you go, talk like you talk, why do they need anything you have? There is a separation that needs to be made. And it is not church and state, even though that's what some say. <laughs> that's not in the Constitution. It is a believer, non-believer. You do live in the world, but we should not live as the world. God hates the followers of Nicholas, the ones who believe that all things are lawful for them. God loves those who are faithful, loyal, and obedient to him. What harmony does a believer have with the world? None. 